0: From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Monique Aiken, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, January 20th. Today, Dimitri Ducat of Living Cities speaks with David Bank about their catalyst family of funds and their investment strategies for the new majority. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in Impact Investing. Were you in Davos? Do you secretly wish you were? Or are you super glad you weren't? Agents of Impact Feelings are all over the map about the World Economic Forum, now wrapping up in the Swiss Ski Resort. The program at this year's forum did nothing to mitigate Davos' reputation as a club for the global elite. There were sessions on quiet quitting and AI, but little that addressed frontline workers, hourly wages, or worker ownership. Also scrubbed from the agenda this year was ESG, the environmental, social, and governance practices that have become an unlikely target in the culture wars. On the agenda... The prospect of a green trade war sparked by the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, which shook the bedrock Davos doctrine of globalization. Some people decry corporate money in politics. Others use it to guide their investments. In a guest post on Impact Alpha, Abigail Weist of the research group Goods Unite Us argues that CEOs are signaling their corporate impact with their political contributions. She says... The slant of contributions from companies and their top executives is one of the best indicators of corporate impact and financial performance. In climate finance, there were new raises for nature-based carbon, zero carbon cement, and sustainable lithium. A new climate committed $640 million to Terra Global for nature-based carbon offsets in emerging markets. A new is the product of TPG Rise's roll-up of element markets and Blue Source. Sublime Systems secured $40 million for its technique that eliminates the use of limestone and fossil fuels and carbon emissions from cement production. The Somerville, Massachusetts company spun out of MIT. And Canada-based Summit Nanotech raised $50 million for a process that extracts lithium for use in electric vehicles and other batteries from seawater brine instead of mining. Now, let's listen in on David Banks' conversation with Dimitri Duckett, Managing Director of Living Cities, the 30-year-old consortium of foundations that has embarked on an ambitious strategy to close the racial wealth gap.
1: We've been tracking with you for for a, a bunch of years now, um, your strategy that you've got there at Living Cities around the new majority, and then also the the, the catalyst family of funds that, that you've been raising. But I think you've been, you're pushing on, I think, seven years there at Living Cities. I'd love to just get your perspective, you know, through all that's happened in that period of kind of where we're at um, on, on the strategy. I mean, lots of progress, not enough progress, you know, some above.
2: You know, David, if I could say, uh, pandemic notwithstanding, your question would be so much easier. I've been here just about seven years. I come out of private sector and other related spaces in finance. I want to care about things a number of years ago, and living cities eventually convinced me to come here. So I've led our place space work, looking to create change in cities and, and such for those who are underrepresented and undervalued and underserved. And as part of my Contribution to our capital work, I was able to bring in a lot of my private sector lens into the consultative solution selling construct. That's normal for me, but isn't always normal in the nonprofit sector. So we've made some real interesting progress here at Living Cities under my guidance and leadership. That makes me very proud of the team.
1: So you said pandemic notwithstanding, you know, pandemic uh, complicates the the question obviously in all sorts of ways. You know. Um, for example, one thing I wanted to raise with you is there was a big surge actually in black and people of color and I think particularly black women entrepreneurship in 2020 2021 um uh, some of that was, you know, uh entrepreneurship by necessity as it were, you know, if if other jobs uh disappeared, but but also um, you know, lots of lots of businesses being uh, formed and I'm wondering whether that trend is uh, you know, is, is sticking and, w- and what's happening with you know those those companies and those businesses in terms of, of growth capital and being able to really um, uh, become a new kind of strategy or a new a new a new policy direction as well.
2: Well David, we're actually holding that question with you. And the beauty of being at Living Cities and holding the role that I do is that I'm able to take traditional financial constructs and add interrogation, investigation, innovation to them. Uh, So when I think about what shifted in 2020, 2021, it's not unusual. Back in the civil rights era, my mother was an entrepreneur uh, in part because it wasn't easy for a black woman in the South in the 50s and 60s to go to a proper college <laughs> and get the proper college degree and then become part of the professional realm that we take for granted now for most women. And so what happens for communities of color is they actually do what they have to do to survive. So we know that oftentimes we're sort of um, last in, first out. You know, it's a whole life home model. And so what we saw in 2020 and 2021 as the economy became more complicated is that lots of people of color were among the first. To either be laid off intentionally or because they tend to be overrepresented in service and labor demographics were among those where the world just went away and so we saw ingenuity so what we ask at living cities is what can we do to actually help support that level of entrepreneurship that level of like just enterprise we did that as a government in the middle of the last century for white men returning from the second world war that's why we have the economy we have now so our question is, how are we actually supporting these new demographics as, as the country shifts, including in moments like the pandemic?
1: Well, that's a good a good uh, segue to to the strategy and to the uh, investments that you've made in the earlier catalyst funds, and then uh, tell us sort of what's what's coming up.
2: So, for those who may not know us, Living Cities has been around just over thirty years, and we were you know basically built when low income housing tax credits were first being pushed out of D.C. and nobody knew what to do with it. Um, So the then president of Rockefeller Foundation called five other giant foundations and said, let's put together a pool of money to see how we can make this work. And they created what was then the National Community Development Initiative, now Living Cities. And that organization at that moment helped to actually expand uh, institutions we take for granted, like Enterprise and LISC, building out affordable housing. As we move through our years, we move more into outcomes for individuals that led us to a number of different chapters, happy to explore them. But when we look at the data that we've been able to disaggregate over the years, we've come to understand that there can be really amazing and sad differentials in what happens for people of color and entrepreneurship and wealth building versus white families and white individuals. So our strategy over time through those three funds, the third one we're building, has evolved in order to create the support we believe necessary for the middle of this century when we'll finally reach what we call a new majority, which means over half the country will be comprised of people of color for the first time. So our third fund, the Catalyst Fund 3, is really focused on creating greater access to decision-making for fund managers of color and those Uh, that support entrepreneurs of color in order to get more capital into hands of people of color at the founder level uh, within our system.
1: Just go a little deeper into how the strategy how you think about the strategy for addressing the racial wealth gap, which as you say is 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 obviously longstanding and then obviously compounds as well. So there's a lot of catching up to do on the one hand, but then but then also a lot of nuance in sort of how you actually move capital and to whom and in under what terms and all that to to make sure that it actually does what you're trying to do.
2: Yeah, for us in terms of strategy, David, I really think about so much historical data and the reason we are the us and we are at the top of the heap globally is because we've invested in our prior majorities which has been principally white men and when we look at demographics now that's no longer sustainable if we want to maintain our global standing and our general way of life i don't want to see moats around my house i don't want to build a 10-foot wall because we have such incredible income disparities as we've seen in other countries and and the like, I believe we are this American people who can actually look at ourselves and say, what we did before served a purpose. Whether we like that purpose or not in retrospect, different story, but they got us here. So the question is, what do we want to see moving forward? What is available to us moving forward? So our strategy has evolved at Living Cities because we honestly believe that we need to support entrepreneurship and get more capital into the hands of BIPOC founders, women. And I say white women because we want to be sure to understand that people of color includes both genders. So it's white women and people of color. But those are the demographics that have been left out right? Unduly over time. And when we look at where population demographics are going, we can't rely on white men to build businesses the way they did in the past. Thank you. Right. But we can't be the America that we want to be if that's what we're still looking at. So what do we do to shift our lens In order to understand that we're leaving battery power on the side of the road over and over and over again to just protect our way of life, our values. So beyond race, beyond gender, just run the numbers. I'm a banker. We run the numbers on every industry. So that's where I've been guiding us in our work at Living Cities across the funds. So Blended Catalyst Fund did make a shift a few years ago somewhat in you know, respect to things we were seeing with the murders of you know, black men across the country and, and black women across the country. We asked ourselves, how are we helping to solve this notion of wealth and self-determination and what it means? And so we pushed forward, we, pushed forward. we pulled data. I actually um, jokingly say to people, um, when we talk about white wealth, black wealth and the wealth disparities around race, it's really a seventh grade math problem. If white wealth is 225 years ahead of black wealth, again, as a measure, then how fast does train B need to go? Train A is 225 years ahead. How fast does train B need to go? Just faster. (laughs) So what happens in the nonprofit sector, as I'm sure you are well aware, is we think we only serve uh, kids with flies on their face. We think we only serve those who are emaciated, those who are homeless. We need to do all of that. That is true. And, and... And we need to reset how we think about wealth determination opportunity. So for me, if we're trying to rebalance, and this is what I brought into living cities, then we have to look at where there's an opportunity for train B to go faster than train A. And when we look at our business ecosystem, the only place that happens is in high growth arenas, which is private equity and venture capital. I don't think it's the savior of all things, but it is one way to shift the dynamics. And I want us to at least interrogate what can happen, what should happen, what could produce greater outcomes in order to rebalance how our society and economy works so that it is way more equitable all.
1: And in practical terms, that's a, 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 a strategy to to back uh, fund managers with with more reflective of the community, so that they can actually then look for founders and entrepreneurs and, and and enterprises that are also more reflective of the of the community. Is and is that is that the notion that that get more capital into the hands of fund managers who who will who will then implement uh, uh, the strategy on the ground
2: very much so david it's very intentional we are s- systemic in our approach to everything you know when i look at a high growth outcome of venture capital funds we're building you know it's so a fund to funds i could do direct deals 20 to 25 investments into founders or i could support 20 to 25 fund managers who have an amazing track record are emerging growing deserve the support and they'll invest in an additional 20 to 25 each that's way more systemic, systematic in an approach. So that's why we're starting this way. Uh, for those who don't know the data, many of us know it now, you know, some, some 98% of all venture capital, some say 82 trillion under management, you know, it's is actually managed by white men. That 2% is women and people of color. So that decision-making power is built on an old model that served us for what we needed, or believed we needed, but it won't serve us well moving forward. So we're focused on increasing the number of decision makers that have an equitable lens around how capital should be distributed and allocated for founders and others in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. So our primary focus is certainly BIPOC fund managers, who have track records and experience are now looking to build their own funds. So emerging fund managers, as we say, we're also focused on non-BIPOC fund managers, meaning, you know, like white fund managers who have a notable equitable lens in how they approach the work. And the existing blended catalyst fund portfolio, we have some very specific investments that actually match that data point. You know, we have, One fund we're invested in is led by two white women. Some 80% of their founder teams have women and people of color on them, and they're on to fund three. So they've done well, not trying to push the notion of only this, but they have an aperture that allows for it. And we also recognize that other intermediaries are starting to look at this as well. So we're curious to see how that progresses.
1: Now, there's some... Um, you know, you said there's some there's data there's data about outperformance there's data about outperformance of of, of first time and emerging fund managers there's data about performance of diverse teams and yet you cited the number the the two percent number actually I think that's high we always get like one point four percent or something like that and it's been yeah like, I was
2: rounding up to be polite you
1: were rounding up to be polite but the 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 sorry yeah. the sorry uh, truth of it is is that number really hasn't budged even since we started reporting it several years ago even with lots of pledges and commitments and and as you said a whole a whole national reckoning supposedly but the number doesn't budge
2: yeah and that's where we think we have something to do that's why we believe that what we're doing actually can contribute to change when i look at the history of living cities and our impact investing going back some 30 years i mentioned earlier that we helped establish what we now consider to be normal around affordable housing finance it didn't exist we also, just some 15, 16 years ago with our second fund in particular, uh, supported the growth of CDFIs. We also supported, no one lent to CDFIs 20 years ago, by the way. They got grants. And now everyone takes for granted how CDFIs, community development financial institutions, are able to get actual lines of credit to do on lending, whether it's small business or housing constructs. They've evolved.
1: We helped prove that out. We also help prove out that living. Some of them have gone into the public bond market with with ratings and and raised money that way. Phenomenal. Way more efficient way.
2: Phenomenal. And that was not common, as you know, just a couple of decades ago. So we contributed to that because we believed that they were more deeply embedded in communities that are difficult to serve from a more formal, traditional financial services perspective. They've proven that out. We're grateful. We also recognize in our work that things like pay for success or social impact bonds have a benefit in shifting how government thinks about its obligations and its outcomes and also doing that while economizing in a way we think can be you know, productive. So we were among the first to invest in pay for success constructs in the US. And we had some partners that go to some of the investment banks and others who've since built their own worlds around that kind of construct. So we're proud of that. So once we prove out something we think we're trying to learn, we move to the new next next. So our new next next is how entrepreneurship can help drive what many people think of as equitable outcomes. Even when we think of, you know, LMI, CRA, whatever you want to think about helping those who have less, we believe that entrepreneurship is the answer is one of the answers. So we want to support it, but in an equitable fashion. As you mentioned, the numbers haven't budged. Why haven't the numbers budged? That's what we want to know. So thanks to a wonderful grant from uh, the Kaufman Foundation, the Marion Euron Kaufman Foundation, we were able to do additional research at Living Cities to build the third fund that we're, that we're uh, standing up now. And what we've learned and technically already knew is that when you look at founder teams that are diverse, they tend to outperform those that are not. When you look at women, first-time fund managers, they tend to outperform the market, yet they don't get the resources and support they deserve. So the question becomes, why? It's a lens. For those who hold the reins, it's perceived as risk. What I say about risk is that it's no different than being three and going to the ocean for the first time and thinking, wow, that's really crazy. These waves (laughs) and being really challenged, right? It's very daunting. But if you keep going back to the They're ocean, so yes yeah, big. But if you keep going back to the ocean, <laughs> by the time you're 30, you just jump right in. The ocean doesn't change. You change. We change. So my guidance, my advice, my admonition even to those who are worried about quote unquote risk of people who aren't like them, who are pushing towards a new model, is to just think about that same analogy. You can't become comfortable with something that you haven't experienced. So I believe that exposure leads to, um, you, you do exposure, it leads to comfort, it leads to understanding, and therefore you make a different set of decisions. We did it with cell phones. We've done it with electric cars. Think of all the ways that we've done that in the business model. So we can do that with people as well.
1: So much of this is, as you say, around sort of mis, mispriced risk or, or, or misperceptions of risk. Um, but I want to throw you a little bit of a curveball because something that I, that I that I've thought about, which is um, as you have communities that have been, um, uh, you know, underestimated or, or, or disadvantaged and, and founders and, and fund managers for that matter, one of the effects of that is just essentially lower valuations of their companies or of their funds. And it's possible. And people do this, make make investment strategies out of taking advantage of those lower valuations, which effectively is a is a function of of historical racism and, and all the rest how do you avoid you know playing into the very extractive and exploitive tendencies that are embedded so deeply as as you know in the in the system and and being able to be you know reparative of them as opposed to compounding them Wow, that is a curveball.
2: Thank you. <laughs> I love a good curveball. We believe that we're really charged with illuminating and elucidating all the things that can actually shift the system. So we recognize that there are challenges around valuation, David, but we also understand that in that dynamic, there are too many people who never get funded, who never get capital. So what we're focused on is actually getting capital into the hands of those who really can run the race. And we believe that by showing that they can run the race, watching them run the race, telling the story of them running the race, those valuations will shift. Just like in the mortgage industry, we now know that for black families who own lovely homes, they are often right undervalued whenever there's time for an assessment. I know personal friends who have their white friends stand in their house when it's time for it to be assessed. right? But it's the same house. So what we're doing is looking for ways that we can actually help highlight the performance of those that are underrepresented undervalued who hold this notion of under expectation the like and that by showing the data telling the story even with the tricky valuations we're helping to shift that and where there are undervaluations we want to be able to tell that story as well right so we're focused on primarily supporting fund managers, decision makers in the capital ecosystem who are themselves often dismissed. We believe they will not perpetuate that with the founders they then support. So that's why it's our primary focus, BIPOC, black, indigenous, people of color, fund managers who have a proven track record in their career around managing capital somewhere right? We will vet them on that. We will vet them on the racial equity lens. And we believe they're more likely, and the data suggests, they're more likely to make more equitable decisions around what happens with founders, including not buying into that undervaluation crazy, let me extract from you model. And then we also want to look at those who support founders in a more equitable fashion who aren't BIPOC fund managers. That's why we're taking the approach
1: that we are. Terrific, Demetric. I do want to give you a chance to say whatever you can you can within the limits of of your your compliance officer about about the new fund <laughs> and um and 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 how people can find you and uh, uh just give us give us the give us the elevator pitch.
2: So thank you for that, David. First of all, I would like to clarify for anyone who's listening. That we are building a deeply charitable fund first. And for those who get into technical constructs 506B versus C, yada, 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 we're building a deeply charitable fund first, and all of our investors will be qualified. So that's why we have a little more latitude to talk about how we're fundraising and what we've done in the past. So for Catalyst Fund Three, we're looking to raise a hundred million dollar fund of funds. We do have a publicly announced intentional anchor. For those who want to look forward, Kaufman Foundation made a very public announcement at the Milken Conference uh, earlier last year, and we're very helpful, uh, happy to have them support us. We're very proud of their validation of our work. Um, so what we need right now is another $90 million to actually try to do some real good. We're not focused on generating money for ourselves so much, but really in, in we're focused in, uh, on the notion of returning capital to our investors, who believe in what we believe. We believe that there is a new majority that deserves the very support that we've seen in building wealth in this country in the middle of the past two centuries. So in the middle of the 1900s, it was the GI Bill and all the things that came with it. In the middle 1800s, it was the Homestead Act and all the things that came with that. So we believe there's a new majority present and we wanna make sure that our fund contributes to an understanding of how to support
1: that demographic. Terrific, Dimitrik. Thank you for being so direct and practical and insightful as always. And we're going to be tracking with you on the new fund and all the work you're doing at Living Cities. Thanks for joining us.
0: And that's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks to Dimitrik, David, and our producer, Isaac Silk. Ready to try Impact Alpha? Sign up for Impact Alpha open, free of charge, directly at impactalpha.com. Want to go deeper? Grab a subscription and get full access to the site. Agents of Impact calls and the daily email brief. Just go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and choose an annual subscription. Thank you for listening. I'm Anique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. Be sure to check back for next week's briefing. And until then, take care.